Kings of the Podcast, episode 137, season four, rolling right along here, Dennis Bernstein. How you doing? Doing great, Jay. Uh, season's, uh, what, about nine days away? Can't wait. Uh, happy to do another episode with you. Well, we have a lot to cover today, Dennis. Uh, first of all, our guest coming up during the second period is going to be Tony Gasparini. Gaspo was a longtime scout for the LA Kings, mm -hmm. even pre-Dean Lombardi. So we'll get into that, hopefully, with him. We'll talk about what it was like to survive uh, Dean Lombardi coming in and cleaning house, then Rob Blake coming in, and I guess you could say cleaning house over a number of years. But Gaspo was around for a long time. He's now the VP and general manager in the USHL, the uh, top-tier junior program or junior league, I should say, in the U.S., kind of the U.S. comparable to the uh, the CHL, if you will. Uh, we'll bring him in in the second period and hopefully get some good stories out of him. Maybe he has a receipt from Mark Unetti, by the way, in that great Waffles story <laughs> that uh, Yank yes. told a couple episodes again. So that'll be coming up in the second period. But, uh, Dennis, in the first and third period, what I was thinking today, we would cover off on a couple of recent stories. We have reverse retro follow-up news. We talked about reverse right. retro jerseys a few uh, episodes ago and then we have these final roster spots that are going to be decided we can talk about that but Dennis I think this is the news that we have to start with uh you know you and I uh love our social media and, and we love what social media yes. can bring to the program apparently the NBA's highest paid mascots DB Rocky the mountain lion for the Denver Nuggets did you see how much this guy makes he makes I think over 600 grand yeah, 625,000. Dennis, we're doing something wrong. We should have gone to mascot school. By the way, you know there is mascot yeah. school, right? I think I saw that yes, on 60 yes. Minutes or um, mm -hmm. or uh, Real Sports with Brian Gumbel or whatever. There's a mascot school that these these mascots go to. But check this out. This is quite the spread from what I from what I understand. It said the 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 list that was going around, I think uh, Sports Business Journal was involved in this or something. Mm -hmm. um, the sure, NBA's yeah. highest paid mascots, Rocky the Mountain Lion, 625000 He's the Denver Nuggets. Harry the Hawk, the Atlanta Hawks, he's 600000 So he's just a, a beak behind. Uh, Be Benny the Bull, you like that one? Benny the Bull. <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen Dennis's face. Uh, Benny the Bull, the Chicago Bulls mascot. He makes 400K. Now, Dennis, that's quite the spread, 600K to 400K. That's a drop from going from second to third. And then it gets cut in half. Go the gorilla for the Phoenix Suns. He's only making 200,000, and he's in fourth place. So to make over 200,000 as a mascot, you have to be in the top three of the NBA. And then check this out. In fifth is Hugo the Hornet for the Charlotte Hornets. He's making 100K. And I guess basically everybody else from, from the – impression i had was making somewhere between like 50 and 75k so 
the majority of people aren't making big bucks, uh, but the top five are certainly getting paid to do their thing. Yeah, well, that's why you want to work for Stan Kroenke, right? I think Kroenke Sports Entertainment owns uh, owns the Nuggets, so you get a, you get a big payout on that. Keep hope alive, and just when you think that America's finished, you get a mascot making six hundred grand. So God bless America, John. That's <laughs> yeah, all I, I got to say. Dennis, I don't want to hear about a recession or any sort. I don't want to hear about people right. and their problems with $7 a gallon of gas. If you're a mascot yeah. making 600 k there's hope for all of us, Dennis. Yeah, you can you can get a hybrid. You can get a Tesla. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm not – that's that's astounding. Now, you got to figure the guy – you know, a lot of these mascots have two roles. They actually have other roles in the organization. So I'm wondering what, what kind of – I just can't think just bouncing on a trampoline, you're going to get 600 grand, but if you can, great. And you know, it's getting ripped off the gorilla because the gorilla way back in the day, John, he was one of the OGs. Yeah. Phoenix gorilla. He was one of the OGs. So he needs better representation. So who's ever repping, uh, uh, you know, Rocky, uh, he's probably the, the, the reps probably got a line on the, probably got 10 voicemails from uh, other mascots around the league and uh, around sports. Yeah, for sure. Go the gorilla making 200 K. He's not even making a third of what Rocky's making. So, uh, Alan Walsh or, uh, Pat Brisson or, you know, some of these power agents, they need to, somebody needs to get involved here. There's a lot of money to be made, uh, repping, repping these mascots. And the only reason I bring this up, obviously, this is not an NBA thing, but, um, you mentioned Cronky. Cronky also owns, uh, or one of the, the, the cousins or the brothers. It's all in the family, but they can't have the same right. ownership group because of the NFL. But the Cronky family, uh, one branch of it, owns the Rams, right? So yep. yes. th- w- w- what's the Rams mascot? Uh, Rampage. Rampage. Okay. Uh, Rampage. What's Rampage making? I mean, he just won a probably Super Bowl eight, ring. Yeah, so probably 800 grand. I don't know. 800,000. No, 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 no is, I don't know. <laughs> this is why I brought this up, though. NHL to bring it back to hockey the mascots yeah. are in the news DB now I will admit I will admit I was wrong about gritty I thought when mm-hmm. I first saw gritty I don't know if you remember my comment I thought there's no way this mascot makes it 10 so days in the right. city of Philadelphia I, what was that thing they did with uh Stan Lee the NHL they uh, uh, the guardians or whatever they were called yeah. Of the, yes yeah that whole thing that died like within 48 hours never happened like, never, never happened, happened. Yeah, right. it's it's kind of like the um, it's 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 kind of like some of those third jerseys back from the mid '90s. Like, did the Blues ever even play in theirs? I don't. I think Mike Keenan shut that down. Right? <laughs> yeah, they announced they those jerseys. They lasted all of a couple hours. So that's what I was thinking was going to happen with Gritty. I thought Philadelphia, tough, tough city. Right? They flip off Santa Claus. Like, there's no yeah. way Gritty's going to make it ten days. Now, of course, I was wrong. He's gone on to become a cultural phenomenon and around uh you know just world of sports and then remember the first night he comes out he falls on his butt on the ice like people like okay oh this is not good so it's It's not not going well well. it's not going it's gone very well as a matter of fact when i went to lake placid not lake placid uh lake tahoe when he uh uh, he was up there and and like why would he be there there was nobody there there were no fans I, he was up there. I was. I okay. still have photos of him. So. He travels with the Flyers. He, he travels with the Flyers. He flies charter he's now. <laughs> he's such a front. Oh yeah, and, and probably makes big dough based off this list, even though we don't have NHL uh, listing. Hey, John, I want to say one. I want to go off script for a second. Okay. Okay. Uh, with respect to the renovations at uh, Crypto.com Arena, sure. Obviously, last night we moved our seats around to uh, jump. 
they put the LED boards in mm-hmm. on the on the top of the upper bowl. Right. Okay. I assume it's a it's an aid or a guide or help to have the fans watch the game. Except when you put twenty percent of the board showing the video and the rest is two big blocks of statistics, and then obviously you have a sponsor sign. So it's only twenty percent. I, I didn't get that. I, I thought it would just be like another video board to watch the game. And it's not, there's like power play shots and guys, I, I, I need that board to, to watch the game, not give me stats that covers 80% of the board. Well, let me ask you, why can't you watch the game on the ice? Uh, I could, but I, I think part of the issue is like, I'll give you an example. My seats last year were in the second round and when it's down at one end of the ice, you can't see. So you have to look up and they had those crappy LED boards underneath the main uh, scoreboard. So okay. I'm thinking, okay, so now when it goes to the other end, I can watch these two larger LED boards. But it, the, the actual video for the, uh, for the game, mm-hmm. uh, the play on the ice, is no bigger than the ones on the scoreboard and they're further away. All right, so, so here's what I'm going to do, just for you, Dennis, because you know I always like yeah. to take care of you. I'm gonna I'm gonna book Kelly Cheeseman. Cheeseman, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll get Cheese on here as the he's the COO, I believe, of AEG Sports. I always get it wrong. Yeah. I don't know what his title is. He's, yeah, he's I think that's right. Cheese, no. Which is kind of funny, right? But, exactly. Uh, we'll we'll I'm gonna book Cheeseman. We'll get him in here. We'll we'll ask a bunch of questions about the renovations, and you can hammer him on the uh, on the video board. Okay, it's one way to go him to get to come on by just disparaging <laughs> the video boards. I mean, it's yeah, great they put him in. You're doing a great like, job. I, I just <laughs> to me, it's like I, I couldn't see the. I'm like. Okay, I don't need half the board to tell me like the power play shots. Like, I, well, I don't need Jim that. Hiller does. The it's in Jim right. Hiller's contract. Jim Hiller should get a raise based off uh, <laughs> last night. Oh, if he's going to come in and improve night. the power play, then he wants to see the stats up there all over okay. all over <laughs> Staples Center. But yes, exactly. you're doing a great job of alienating our guests. Luke doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Now Cheese isn't going to want to talk to you. So <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to play nice at some point, Dennis. No, I've been playing nice. That's, okay, that's can nice. we can we loop back to the mascot though? Because I needed to just yeah, I, please. I, not that this is not that this is podcast of the mascots or whatever. But um, I just no, I need your ahead. opinion. I need your opinion about Bowie, the latest uh, mascot debut in the NHL. The Seattle Kraken just debuted their new mascot, Bowie. What, what do you think of Bowie? As, as soon as I heard Bowie, I thought of Baba Bowie from my <laughs> Howard Stern fans out there. Okay. okay, John. So, so this was that's my when they did the release, it took multiple years to figure out that's what you were going to come with as a mascot. <laughs> multiple <laughs> years. That's what they said. I'm just, I'm just saying. So that's it. I, I guess. Look, a lot of people getting paid in the mascot industry, right? Rocky's getting <laughs> yeah. paid. There's some person or people that got paid the years to figure this out and what it wanted with focus groups and all this other stuff. And maybe part of it is that, you know, buoy can detect the Kraken and why wasn't the mascot a Kraken? See, here's the thing. Um, you know, maybe maybe Bowie is going to blow up, and this is going to be gritty 2.0, and it's going to be fantastic, and maybe we're going to have egg on our face uh, in in a couple of months or in a year from now. But this is this was my initial reaction to this. I was thinking, how did a franchise who seems to have done so many things, almost everything right off the ice? I'm not talking about their performance mm-hmm. last year. I know people 
some people uh, expected them to make the playoffs. You and I didn't, but I'm not talking about their performance on the ice. The jersey's fantastic. People love the arena. You look at how they rolled everything out in terms of the expansion mm-hmm. draft and everything. This is a franchise that seems to have done everything right from a PR standpoint. And then to your point, that's the mascot for the Seattle Kraken? I just don't get it. I don't get it either. If if the Kraken's a mythical creature, then that should be the mascot, not Bowie. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Okay. But it's but you know you know I, we talked about this on SiriusXM and shameless plug I'm going to be co-hosting all week on SiriusXM so I'm sure there'll be some Kings talk fight. we actually we had Jim Fox on today so we had a little chat so if you want to listen to noon to three Eastern but John to me it's also like it's not exactly the same parallel but um, it's like if you're out of Seattle do you care it's like all this BS with Dustin's statue. Which is like, it, who cares if you're on Ottawa and you you don't like you don't think that he should deserve a statue? Like who? It, it, to me, it's the fans in Seattle. Will they embrace it? It's not going to be nationally iconic because John, if you're hoping it's going to be like gritty, that's a once in a lifetime thing. That's not going to happen every time you launch it. So that that's what I look at with respect that if the people in Seattle like it and it draws more kids and it puts one more person in the building, then great, they want. And I agree with that. I, I like what the franchise has done. They're being patient. Um, they've done everything right. There's been no hiccups, John, with respect to the arena or the team or anything like that. They draw very well. They have to be more exciting, obviously, this season. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I just – I don't know why a person in Colorado or Columbus would care about what the mascot is for uh, – so I don't want to disparage it, but I would just think that the Kraken would be the mascot at the game that people could come and talk to. So – it's uh, an interesting choice by Seattle. All right. So I'm with you. That's fine. It's a Seattle thing. But it seems like you're trying to get under my skin by bringing up the Dustin Brown statue. You're trying to put me in a bad mood here tonight, Dennis, because that really irritated me. Not your comment, but that whole yeah. nonsense that people want to talk about Dustin Brown. Leafs fans, you have a statue of Wendell Clark. You have Sundin. Yeah. You have Gilmore. What did they ever win? Okay, they might be your favorite players and you might like them, but you're talking about Dustin Brown, who was the captain of the L.A. Kings, who brought two Stanley Cups to the L.A. Kings uh, organization, and he doesn't get a statue outside. I I just I don't even understand how anybody's even entertaining this conversation. It's embarrassing the the level of I don't want to call it hate, Dennis, just chirping that takes place uh, when people decide to to crap on things when they don't really know what they're talking about. It's just, it's mind boggling to me, DB. Yeah. It's disrespectful. The guy playing the league for what, 18 years for the same franchise that hardly ever happens anymore. And he won two championships as the captain. Like, whoa, who's deeming what, uh, uh, what makes a statue uh, legitimate. Like this is really easy for me though, Dennis, if Shane Doan deserves a statue in Arizona and he absolutely does, Okay, if Shane Doan deserves a statue in Arizona, why in the world would Dustin Brown not deserve a statue in Los Angeles, considering he delivered two Stanley Cups? I just don't understand. Yeah. And not for nothing, Oscar De La Hoya has a statue outside Staples. uh, Don't get me started. I don't think he ever won a fight in L.A. (laughs) So he's got a statue outside the building. He's never won a fight here. He was the Sugar Shane mostly twice. So to me, it's. I'm not trying to upset you. I agree with you, Tohor. Like, who cares? Like, who cares what somebody in Philadelphia thinks about that? Like, that—that's not the—that's ma- not the point. And it's already 
he's already part of the, of that mosaic outside the arena holding up the cup. So there's already precedence. So, yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I think it's just the way Dustin played, that hard edge, hard nose type of play, that people don't like him. He's one of those guys, though, you hate him if he's not on your team, and you love him if he is. And that's what happens. But you know what? Based on what we saw on Instagram yesterday, John, he's real happy and he's chilling. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, like yeah that. That, was, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. Uh, for those of you that don't get that joke, uh, Nicole Brown posted a fantastic uh, Instagram story over the weekend that had uh, – it starts the, – the video starts – with a, a, a TV screen mounted to a wall playing the Kings game. And then she slowly pans over and there's, there's Dustin with this goofy smile on his face, eating yeah. like a bowl of fruit loops or something, yeah, watching the, uh, yeah, watching the game. And I think her, her quote was uh, something to the effect of, well, this is new or this is different or whatever she said. I was cracking up laughing. I thought it was hysterical. Yeah. I, I text her after I saw that. And go, I just texted one word, Instagram. She goes, yeah. it's really weird. Having after 18 years of having a home, but yeah, See, he's living it. Yeah. That's what I was saying a couple episodes ago, DB. I would love to write an article, one of those embedded type articles and just sit there and watch game one, October 11th, watch game one. Yeah. What's yeah. it going to be like for him? What's he thinking? What's he, what's he doing? Like that's, it's just, it's totally different. Dennis after, you know, that's been your life for 20 years. Yeah, it's weird for the guys in the room not to have him there, but it's also weird for him not to be there. But yeah. he's enjoying it, and I don't think he's going to be at the arena much. I mean, he's going to be obviously show up in February, I assume, for his uh, jersey. So you assume? You think, you yeah, think he assume, might be you there? You never know with Dustin. He's like, eh. <laughs> yeah. How great would it be if he wasn't there and Nicole just accepted the statue on his behalf? On his behalf, exactly. Hey, uh, you know what, though? I don't even know if we need Dustin there because it was his son who was the star of the press conference. I think it was Cooper, right? He was the star of the press conference. So let's just get him back out there to accept the statue on behalf of his dad. That'll be fantastic. (laughs) Yep. Hey, uh, DB, we have a lot to cover in this particular episode. We do have uh, Tony Gasparini coming up in the uh, second period. Let's save our roster conversation for the third period. We have a lot of questions to get into. Which players are going to make the final roster? What's going to happen with Byfield? What's going to happen with Sean Dursey? What's going to happen with Sean Walker? What's going to happen with Ardvidsson? Plus, you have uh, the whole waiver situation going on with uh, Jordan Spence, with Gabe Velarde, uh, Leah Anderson, Jared Anderson, Dolan, Jacob Mavari. Uh, there's a lot of roster questions that we can get to. Why don't we just wrap up this first period though, DB talking about one particular thing. And it's a follow-up to something we covered on a previous episode. And that is the reverse retro Jersey. Now, from what I understand, the Kings are getting ready to debut. They'll either start with a tease or just go with a full fledged announcement. Uh, but per- perhaps by the time that some people even listen to this podcast, the LA Kings 2022-23 reverse retro jersey or reverse retro 2.0, as I'm calling it, um, will be rolled out. And if you haven't done so yet, please go to mayorsmanner.com and vote in the poll. We have it's kind of a two part article. So um, we're going off of the trust system here, Dennis, because I'm going to yes. I'm going to give away an answer here. This is a quiz where the answers are in the same book. Okay. If you remember those when you were a kid in school. (laughs) Yes. So the answer to the poll, well, not really the answer to the poll, but the, the, the Jersey is at the bottom of the article. So if, but what I want you to do is I want you to vote before you see the Jersey. So we're going off the Mm -hmm. trust system. So go to the article. It's on mayorsmanner.com. It's been up for a couple of days. Now there are five jerseys to select from. Uh, with three different crests in uh, different sort of uh, iterations of purple and yellow and three different crests that are available. 
five jerseys to select from. Select the one that you like the best. That's the poll. And then after you voted, go ahead and read down below and you'll see a couple of additional mock-ups that we've provided of what the jersey is expected to look like, as well as some information about the release, the New Year's Eve game that's going to take place and with the reverse retro jersey, the debut of the jersey on the ice, which is coming up in mid-November, et cetera. So you have that whole article. Uh, it's on mayorsmanor.com. So, DB, that's everybody's homework assignment. Sound good? Absolutely. Yeah, get to it and Thanks for providing the answer as well for those that are want to <laughs> for those that want to just cheese. skip ahead and get right to the answer to the question. There Absolutely. you go. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back on the other side. Tony Gasparini, former LA King scout and uh, now a general manager in the USHL. He's going to join us after the break. Used to spend my nights out in But you rescued me from reaching for the bottom and brought me back. Welcome back, second period. Joining us now, a guy who was involved with the LA Kings for a very long time. We'll talk about that. He is currently, uh, as of, I guess, a couple of months ago, the vice president and general manager of the Sioux Falls Stampede, Gaspo. Tony Gasparini, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, look, now that you've left the organization, I think it's okay to have you on. Uh, you were one of those like secret weapons behind the scenes. So uh, we're going to have a lot of conversations uh, here today about a lot of different topics. But before we get started, I did just want to make sure that I give you a huge thank you. You were always so selfless with your time, so informative, uh, and, and just you, you've been a great resource through the years. And I just can't say thank you enough. I really appreciate that. So wanted to at least publicly make sure that uh, I gave you some props there. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I'm uh, a big fan of your work and uh, appreciate all you, you do. All right. So uh, enough about all that. Let's get into you. Let's get into the good stuff. And I'm not really sure uh, that people, fans, the majority of fans connected to the Los Angeles Kings probably know much about you. As I said, you've kind of been that secret weapon behind the scenes. Let's just get right after this, though. Uh, how about what's been the best part and the worst part about no longer working for Mark Unetti? Well, to be honest with you, the, the best part about no longer working is I feel a weight lifted from me. You know, for 15, 15 years, I've been carrying 200 plus pounds on my back. So, I mean, it, like, what can you say? It, it feels like a weight has been lifted off me. It, it, it's hard work carrying him around for all those years. Well, look, um, I was going to save this for later, but we might as well just get into it right now. Uh, I do know that you listen to Kings of the Podcast. Uh, I'll say on occasion. I know you're very busy, um, so I'm not sure if you've caught the last episode or not. But we did we did have uh, quite a bit of discussion about you, and uh, Yank was quick to give you a lot of credit for a lot of your work through the years. But there was one story in particular that I thought you might have a receipt for, and that is uh, Yank, as only Yank can do, he went into an elaborate story about a visit that you made made to the Yanetti compound there in New England and he spent all day and he's making his sauce and you know he gave you uh, basically uh, a gourmet meal with you know 17 courses etc and then uh, allegedly when you had him over to your house you gave him waffles for dinner yeah I gotta be real honest with you that is it was it was quite true but the only difference was my my visit was was prearranged. We had a day off. We did some video. He cooked. 
It was awesome. He did an unbelievable job. His visit was impromptu. Like it was at a last minute thing. I remember distinctly that we had kids coming from nine different things and, and my wife was so busy. She was like, what is Mark doing here? (laughs) And I go, well, we're going to a game and it's right by our house. And, and my daughter, God bless her, uh, dropped her off uh, to college this year. Uh, she, she is quite uh, an assertive young woman. And, and that story that he told was 100% true. <laughs> she, she just fired into him like, what are you doing? You're cutting it wrong. It's great. <laughs> it, was, it was true. And the funny part was I, I actually told the story with my daughter, and she goes, I would never say that. And I go, oh, yeah, you would. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I think Nettie's known best for, um, you know, his scouting prowess. But I do have to say that some of the best Mark Nettie stories on this program um, have all centered around food, whether it was uh, that story or whether it was uh, Christian Rutu coming on and talking about uh, Yank's disdain for vegetables and uh, those sorts of things. So good good stuff. Good stuff. Um, your life has kind of come full circle just to bring things back to you. You you know, you were with the Sioux Fall uh, Stampede back in, what, uh, 99, I think it was, as you were an assistant yeah. coach. And then eventually you're in college with Union, and then you get hired by the L.A. Kings. And now you're right back to sort of where you started. I mean, that has to, uh, on a certain level, feel really cool. But on a different level, it, it's also kind of weird, right? It, 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 it is a little bit. And it has come full circle, Yeah. I was here as a as a 23 year old young assistant coach with an then expansion team to Falls Stampede, uh, working with Bob Mosco. Uh, we were together for two years, uh, uh, where I was an assistant coach, and I did a lot of the recruiting and and coaching. Um, spent two years as a general manager and head coach, and uh, at age 25, uh, I can just honestly say, looking back, uh, way too young for mm-hmm. that job at that time. Uh, we weren't we weren't bad, uh, but they decided to make a move, and they wanted me to stay on uh, in a different capacity. But I, I was able to hook on uh, with Nate Lehman uh, at Union College, and Nate, uh, we were building a program there, and a couple three seasons there, and uh, it was a great experience to work with with good people. And uh, if I go back and look at it, John, like uh, how privileged am I that I get to work with two of the best coaches in college hockey uh, during my formative years of learning the game. Yeah, let's connect the dots here for the average fan who maybe doesn't understand what you just said there because you're dropping in some really big names. So Bob Motzko is one of the the legends in uh, college hockey, and he's, he has his fingerprints all over many uh, top prospects that have joined the National Hockey League. And Nate Lehman, most recently, uh, the coach for the USA World Junior Team. And so, again, King's prospects involved uh, uh, with that club. Turcotte was there. Kaliev was there when they won. Um, so... Uh, it's it's kind of this this thing, right, where the hockey world is a very, very small world, and you either end up working with somebody, working for somebody, uh, or at least having a really good relationship because you've worked uh, against somebody in certain uh, situations. But it's it's a very small world, uh, you know, over the last, you know, 25 years for you. It, it has been. It has been. And, and those are two of my close friends. Uh, to this day and uh, very fortunate to, to be involved with them and, and not only them and, and to think about the people that I've got to learn under uh, during my time with LA and uh, Mark being one of them uh, you know uh, Dave Taylor and Dean Lombardi and Rob Blake and there, there's one thing that that even to this day um, you know I'm still listen I'm watching the game tonight too you know I'm still a king through and through and always will be uh, it was one of 
I consider myself unbelievably fortunate to work with, with what I believe is one of the best organizations in the league. And I was fortunate enough to work with some really, really good people. And that was, uh, although I was super excited about this opportunity, um, about running an organization and having the autonomy to build something from the ground up, um, it, it was it was a very tough phone call to talk to the when I when I when I would inform some of the people and sure enough every person in the organization seemed to reach out at the same time and it was it was uh, you know what I'm I'm Italian I'm emotional and yeah it was hard. Well, let me tell you, it was heartbreaking um, for those of us that cover the team that rely on people like you, again, to uh, to be so informative, to be so helpful and to, uh, you know, to help educate us because you guys are out there on the road and uh, you're putting in the hard work. And it's really easy for us to write 800 words about a particular player that maybe we've seen uh, one game or, you know, limited video on. But to be able to tap into somebody like you with all of your experience and really gain insight and even sometimes test some of our own theories and just to be able to say, Hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. You know, obviously I'm a novice as a scout and you know, you're the expert. What do you think? Am I, am I on the right track or am I not on the right track? But I want to go back to something that you said a moment ago, because it is interesting. You're 25 years old. They give you the keys to the castle. What were they thinking? Giving you the keys at 25 <laughs> when, when you think back on that now? Uh, you know what? We, we, we did a good job. Uh, my first year, we, my first year as a as GM coach, we, we, Made the playoffs. We had a very good record. We lost to the eventual champions in the first round. Our team was was loaded. Um, we, you know, we were fortunate enough to to do very well in the draft and 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 through the player procurement process at that time. Uh, so things went went pretty well. And then the following year was a complete rebuild, and 500 just wasn't good enough. But uh, it was it was such a learning experience, and uh, looking back at it, and. It wasn't so much the hockey aspects that I struggled with. It was the communication and relationship aspects that come with running an organization top to bottom with the media, with the business side, everything like that. But uh, my relationships with the ownership group, um, many of whom are still in place now, really never changed. Yeah. And uh, I work for some really good people now. So, so give us a, just a real quick thing. Uh, well, I want to spend the majority of today talking about the Kings, but your time with Nate Lehman there at Union. Uh, when you when you talk to Nate now or when you watch him, how is he different now than he was back then in the early 2000s? I mean, that was quite some time ago. And like you and really anybody in, in the world of hockey, you guys grow. Uh, we all do, I guess. Uh, but, you know, you, he certainly has grown in his role and responsibility and his profile is much larger now than it was back then. How has he changed in your opinion and developed as a coach. You know what? I don't know if he's changed that much. I, I, I think, uh, I think as, as he became, uh, he was, he was newly married as he became a father and, and his, his family grew. I think, I think that allowed him to have a, have a greater understanding of, uh, towards communication and the understanding of young players. Uh, he's always a very demanding coach, but the one thing that I learned from him is, is how well he communicated and did so in a manner with strictly just being very honest and open. And sometimes that's not what kids want to hear at this age, but it's something that I take and apply to what I'm doing right now. Um, and he did it in a manner in which it, it was respectful. It was honest, uh, and it showed that he cared. And I think that's why he's had a great amount of success in, in, in hockey. And, you know, I, I would think at some point uh, down the road, uh, his future is probably in the National Hockey League as well. 
Yeah, for sure. His profile is growing by the minute. Who knows? He might already have a job in the NHL by the time we're done recording this at the speed that things are changing. Um now, how about this, though? Many people might not know this. Uh, this The LA Kings organization has been a fairly stable organization since 2006 on, in the sense that Dean Lombardi and, and his crew had a long run as general manager and team. Rob Blake has been in place now for many, many years. Uh, you are the one guy that kind of arcs over all of that and that stuck around through all of those changes. Many other people did not, either by uh, the team's doing you know, or, or their own doing. They were no longer part of it. Uh, but you were hired right before Dean came on board. So take me back to that time period. You come on board in 2005 and you're thinking you're living the dream. You just got promoted into the NHL and life is great. And that whole group lasted all of one year. Yeah, actually, it was half a year. Uh, so that was uh, it, it was uh, that was a welcome to the welcome to professional sports moment. Uh, uh, it, it was a time in January, I believe, in which we had 15, 16 scouts. And uh, and then the next day uh, we had two. It was myself and Brent McEwen uh, that were left. And uh, it was Dean's first year. And we just kind of it, it actually in, in hindsight, it, it, it was quite fun because basically we just went and we went everywhere mm-hmm. and we went everywhere as a staff. And, uh, you know, it, we, we looked at, you know, numerous lists. We looked at how we did things and it was unbelievably rewarding that year to just go into the list and have a blank slate and not look at anything else and, and have the autonomy to just, well, this guy's really good. And then, and Mark will probably divulge, you know, some where some of those players were on our list, but it, it was it was it was one of the most rewarding experiences that year uh, because of the success we had in the draft that year, but but also how we did it together, and it was it was quite fun. Once you get to know Dean Lombardi, he's a great guy, an evil genius in many many ways, but he can also be intimidating. So tell me about that transition period where. You know, uh, everybody else gets turfed. You're there. Dean comes on board. What's that first meeting like uh, in terms of talking to Dean Lombardi? Yeah, it was the last phone call telling me I'm safe. So (laughs) (laughs) it it wasn't fun. You you know what? Dean and I got along very well. Um, I think, you know, maybe it's both sounding backgrounds. Maybe we're very honest and open with people. Uh, I didn't find him as as intimidating as others just because, you know, you know, my dad was, was quite similar to Dean mm-hmm. and uh, he has a hockey background and, and it, I didn't find him quite as intimidating. So I think that's one of the reasons why we, we maybe hit it off a little bit just because he knew I would work really hard and he knew I would be open and honest and he knew I was very opinionated. So, um, you know, and I think the biggest thing that I learned from Dean is it, it not only is about your the successes that you did have in any particular draft or, or whether you drafted him or had him rated high or not, he was great about identifying the things that you got wrong, being open about it, and then finding the ways not to redo that same mistake or not to have that same mistake happen again. And that's a real learning process as a young scout and, and certainly helps you get better moving forward. Well, Dean likes it when intelligent people push back. So it sounds like you weren't afraid to push back with some of your ideas when you say you're opinionated. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, uh, yeah, Mark and I, we're kind of opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you mean Yanetti has opinions? I would have never known. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's quite, um, we were almost like brothers at times. There were fights and there were, 
they were hooked. So it's all the same thing. Yeah, so. for sure. Uh, I, I could talk to him for hours. I've said for a long time, I think he's the smartest guy in hockey and, and spending time with him is like getting a, an MBA in hockey. Um, so, and it ends up being some of the more popular episodes of the, uh, the podcast as well. So people love, love hearing the Marky Nettie stories, but specifically for you, when you think back of those early years uh, with Dean and as, as you and Yank and, and, and even Foots and everybody, when you guys were putting together your, your theories, your philosophies, your structure, when you, when you look back on it now, what's the one thing that if you could change, you'd go back and go, I just wish we could do this one thing differently. And that might've led to maybe success quicker, or we would have understood things differently. What would that one thing be? Gosh, that's a really tough question. Um, you know what? I don't know. I, I think we might've been, I think if we look back at those, we had formed an identity as, as, as a hockey club and it, and it translated all the way down into how we drafted and who we drafted. And I think we, we embraced that identity so much so that in the later stages, once it was established, we overlooked some other players that although they may not have fit into that identity 100%, they could have come into that, our organization and had a tremendous amount of success you know, in their own right. Mm -hmm. So I think just going back and looking at it, whether that had been size or skating or whatever the case might be, I think that was one thing. If you look back at it, we, we, we kind of got very, we had a very narrow focus at times. And I thought maybe we could have been a little more open, but at the time you don't realize it. That's something you realize way down, you know, years later. Sure. Yank has talked about the fact that it was really invigorating for him when Rob came on board and they kind of changed things. And really from December 2018 on when they they turned the page from the old and were looking forward to the new and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, those next two drafts of wanting to be in the top five and and then COVID hitting and reinventing um, how you guys as a staff and as a group looked at players and evaluated things. It, was it the same thing for you that while it was difficult and change is never fun, when you look back on it, was it a little bit invigorating that it kind of allowed you to to reinvent what had maybe become a little bit stale or a little bit of the status quo for so long? Well, I think so, uh, and I think Mark was probably referring to most uh, the 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 further uh, emphasis on video scouting, the further emphasis on use of analytics towards towards building your amateur list. Uh, it it was it was quite different and. And just like anything, there are positives and negatives that came from it. It was a little more difficult for, for me because um, hockey, even during COVID, like hockey wasn't hockey was still playing in the states mm -hmm. where I was where I was covering. And uh, in fact, I'm in a state that that really didn't have COVID. COVID never hit here in South Dakota, so it was it was it was invigorating uh, to implement some of the new things. Um, you know, it was I enjoyed a lot of it. Um, and, but I think I'd learned a better balance a year ago between the two video, uh, between the video and the live scouting, because usually I was, I'm a little bit more old school where I just go. And I'm a big believer when you're, when you're going through and looking at, at, at drafts and, and so forth, the one thing that gets lost the most is that you're not only drafting prospects and talent and everything, most importantly, you're drafting people mm -hmm. and, the big difference between, you know, the success rates after the third round where it dropped so much, I bet you if you go back and look at all the ones who did hit, uh, there's an extraordinary person there and uh, full of intangibles and, and full of drive in order to make it. And I think that's where, if you look back at the King's success in, in, the, in the draft, 
Um, Jason, I was on with Shane Malloy the other day, and it was one of the first things he said with the Kings, how many later round hits uh, that, that we had as a group. Uh, and I think it was those intangibles. And that was something that, that Dean was very big on. It was some of those in- that intangibles with the person. And then ultimately you are drafting people. Yeah. How do you, how do you get to that though? Right. They're, like those, those words that are so hard to define, everybody can look at goals and assists and whatever metric you want, plus minus and zone entries. And, you know, you can go deep on the analytics, but hockey IQ, I don't think they've come up with a measurement for that yet. Uh, culture, character, they haven't come up with the proper measurements for those yet, or or have they? Is there a secret analytics number that we're not aware of that you guys do in, uh, behind the scenes? Maybe I I don't know if there there is. Uh, the the one thing is this is where you got to kick it back to old school scouting a little bit. You have to talk to people. You have to be in the rink. You have to talk to the coaches. You have to talk to the trainers. You have to talk to the their, their strength coaches. That, that was always a good one. You have to talk to their former coaches and. And just by communicating, you get to paint a picture uh, of the young man and some of the intangibles that he had. And and not only those interviews, the interviews with the players. And the interviews with the players lasting longer and going past the standard form questions. Uh, getting to know them and, and getting these young men, because they are young men, to open up and show themselves. And I think some of our better drafts are, 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 are ones in which we really knew them as people. Uh, we, we could really see inside them and see those quote-unquote intangibles that, that help them have success. I've always assumed that not only because it's hard to measure, but I've always assumed that that is the most difficult part about scouting a young player because just having been around a bunch of 16 to 18-year-old kids, they're not the most talkative. They haven't developed their stories. And many of the ones that have, they're full of cliches. So like you said, you know, you have to get past that, which can be a challenge, right? But if a kid's not giving you much, no matter how many times you talk to him, uh, because not everybody is Brant Clark, for example, who's an open yeah. book, right? So the I'm, I've always assumed the majority of those kids, you don't really get it from them. You have to get it from the people that you're talking about. You have to get it from the coach, the strength guy, uh, you know, the nutritionist, the, the the whoever. That's where you have to get the good stuff. Yeah, no question. And And those people that you're getting that information for, you have to develop a level of trust in which that information is not public. That information is a private conversation between you and them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest part. And that's the relationship part that goes into, into drafting and, and getting to know people in, in the business. Yeah. And then again, back to guys like Nate Lehman, uh, guys like Motsko, uh, you know, you see the Kings in certain times sort of fishing in familiar ponds, but the Kings aren't the only team that does that. Many of the teams do that. And to your point, it's because of those relationships uh, that have been built over a long period of time. Without question, uh, you know, we, we did have quite a few players that played for Bob. Bob is one of my close friends. And uh, there was a level of trust there that, that knowing and understanding that if our player was playing for Bob, uh, that, the, that his development path and his, his productivity towards learning and, and working on certain things is going to improve. And uh, it was a comfort level. So, so how about a couple of tension points before we wrap things up here today? This will be a fun one. So I, I've always assumed as well that from the scouting perspective, we all know that you guys, uh, when the door is closed, we hear, you know, this guy's slamming his fist on the on the desk and he wants to get his guy, right? Well, wh- whether it's that dramatic or not, the point is this. When you guys are putting the list together, uh, you should be, at least I believe, really passionate about the guys that you're high on, right? You spent the whole year 
putting profiles together for certain players, but you're not the only one. There's a guy doing that in Europe. There's a guy doing that in the CHL, you know, et cetera. So how frustrating is it at times to be sitting in that room, putting that list together? You know what? I, I, I didn't, I never found it that frustrating. Um, the, the only time when you're dealing with your colleagues in that area, um, First and foremost, the biggest thing is that you have to you have to have respect for their opinion, and you have to listen to some of the counterpoints that you may have missed because you're blinded with some of the things that you like. Uh, it, 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 there is passion involved, and there's quite a bit of passion. But it, for for 99% of the time, as long as there was respect uh, between the two people talking it out, uh, it, it seemed to work out in the right in the right area. Um, we can always joke and, you know, we can always look back on lists and, and joke about who I liked or who Yank liked or who Ruth liked, uh, you know, and then, you know, once, once the dust settles, the draft is over and a couple of years down the road, that's when you can start to egg him a little bit. <laughs> How about the other frustrating point where you, you draft a guy? Okay. So the team takes your guy. So now you're stoked, right? And then that player ends up exceeding sort of all expectations the following year. Now you're really excited. Now you're even higher on the guy than you were once before. And then when you get to training camp, maybe your guy's not getting as, as many games, not as he's not getting as many looks and you think he's ready, but the coaching staff in LA and I'm not naming names, I, you know, but uh, they don't see it the same way that you do. How frustrating is that? Cause we're in that time period right now where highly talented guys are just not going to make the NHL roster this year due to certain spots, not being available. And you know, they'll have to bide their time in the American league or whatever and wait their turn. I would imagine that when you're the quote unquote sponsor of a player, that's that can be frustrating at times. You know what? A, a little bit, but you have to. You always kind of put it in context, John. And in in regards to, uh, they're attempting to play in the best league in the world, and very rarely, if a player who is boxed out or isn't getting that opportunity, very rarely are do NHL level caliber players not make the NHL and something. Maybe it's a different organization that maybe when a change is needed and so forth. So usually speaking, like in other teams are doing their job as well. So they're looking at this and they they can see the depth chart if, if, a, if a young player or so-and-so is boxed out just due to overall depth. Uh, they'll, they'll always find, you know, the, the, top, the cream always rises to the top <laughs> per se because they'll find, they'll, find, they'll find their path with another organization. And it may take a little bit longer, but the ultimate goal is getting there. It, it is, it is the best league in the world for a reason. And but usually speaking, um, they're going to find their way and get there. You know, uh, favorites were Nick Dowd. Like he's, he's, it's taken a couple organizations. He's finally found his niche, and he is a highly effective center for Washington now. But it just, it just didn't fit with us during his time there, unfortunately. And it didn't fit with Vancouver. But he found his way, and he found his. His, his niche and, and, and he found his spot within that organization and, and he seems to be thriving. Gaspo, I wanted to poke the bear. I wanted to get you really heated. I wanted some I wanted some of those legendary opinions to come out and be like, yes, damn it. This guy didn't make it and he should have been there and they burned him and they ruined him. Hey, my friend, I'm just like Switzerland. I'm neutral now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, it's, it certainly seems that way. Um, how about this? You went out almost on top, right? So the decision was made. You knew that you were going to the USHL and then you were going to finish up your time your term with the with the kings take it all the way through the draft and 
the first pick that the LA Kings made this year in Jack Hughes. It's your guy, but it's the second round. So you don't get your glory moment. You don't get to go up on stage <laughs> and announce the pick and just, you know, go out with the real bang. Is that the, is that the only bummer in the whole thing or screw it? It doesn't matter. It was still your guy. That was the first pick by the LA Kings this year. You know what? It, it didn't matter at all. I, I was, uh, you know, it, 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 we were just really excited to have the opportunity to draft draft Jack. Uh, he is a unbelievable young man, very driven. Uh, he's going to have success not only in college in the next few years, but also in pro hockey. He's got a great mind and understanding. Uh, you know, I always looked at it like he's going to come in and he kind of he, he's such a he's a multifaceted player. Like he does a lot of little things around the ice that that the more you watch, and it actually came through a little bit more on video, all the little hockey plays he makes around the ice were, were really impressive. And and uh, quite driven young man. Uh, we were just pumped to get him there. All right, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you off, but I'm not going to let you off easy. I'm going to put you in the hot seat. <laughs> Final question. Uh, I know you've left the organization now, so now you can address it more as a fan. Obviously, your fingerprints are all over the LA Kings prospect pool, one of the deepest pools in the NHL. But... Tell us, who is the one Kings prospect that people sleep on right now that you wish that they would pay a little bit more attention to? Uh, you know what? It's, it's probably uh, Alex in Lafayette uh, in Harvard. Yeah. Um, I, I really think that, that because of COVID, his development path could not have been better. And that sounds really strange. But he played as he was a first-year player in the USHL and popped. And it was someone that, that we tracked throughout the whole season and kept progressing and kept getting better. But that extra year, because Harvard did not play during COVID and he got to spend the extra year in Des Moines, mm-hmm. uh, I really think that because of that, like his development path started to go a little bit faster than what we even anticipated. Uh, he's a heck of a prospect and, you know, he, he also can do a lot of different things and play a lot of different roles as, as a hockey player. So we're, I think that one in which, you know, I, he's overshadowed a little bit last year by some of the top guys. But if you go back and look and if you talk to a lot of the coaches in the ECAC last year, um, you know, he always phoned college coaches on Wednesday because that's the day that they've been, they spent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on, on video of scouting the opposing team. And you phone them on Wednesday and they go, oh, boy, we have to really contain your guy here. We have to contain him here. We have to, we can't let him get to the nets on these things. So he's the one that, that keeps coming up when you're talking to, to coaches. And even now when the coaches are phoning me and, and asking about our prospects here, um, his name comes up quite a bit. So that one, I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to see uh, where he finishes up and, and, uh, and as he attacks, uh, you know, college hockey this season, maybe next year, and then into pro hockey. Well, Gaspo, it should be a surprise to nobody. You're going to come out looking like a genius on this one. That kid has a rocket strapped to his back. He's uh, going up the prospect pool rankings very, very quickly. And uh, I actually happen to agree with you. He's going to have a huge breakout year this year, and a lot of people are going to be talking about him by the time it comes to uh, development camp here in Los Angeles next summer. Gaspo, certainly appreciate your time. Again, thank you so much for all the time through the years. Thanks for jumping on the podcast, sharing some stories with us. I guess now we're going to have to keep an eye on what's going on with Sioux Falls and the USHL just to see what you're up to. Yeah, yeah, we've got to build here. So we're, we're building right now. So. We'll, be, we'll be watching it all season. You have a great evening, my friend, and thank you for the uh, time. Really appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. Best of luck to you guys. All right. We'll be back on the other side of the break with more Kings of the Podcast. with db and the mayor welcome back third period thanks again to tony gasparini uh gaspo was a fantastic guest there fun conversation really appreciate him coming on and uh i'm sure that somewhere in uh, new england right now mark and is appreciating the receipt from from uh gaspo there his his former <laughs> cohort in the scouting world uh db before we continue and we have a whole period here of king's roster news to get to I have to ask, and I should have asked right off the hop at the beginning, uh, you surprised everybody. You didn't even tell me. I showed up in Ontario, and there you were, Dennis Bernstein in Ontario for an actual hockey game. What's the story there, DB? What would you think? Give us your review. Now, I know you've been there before, but that doesn't count. It's been a long time. It's been probably six or seven. Now I can silence the critics that say I've never gone. No. Now I'm good for another. Now I'm good for another five years. No, I am. I am. That I did it still. As a matter of fact, I had to talk to King's PR. I said, look, keep this off the record because people are going to go nuts and, and really go crazy when they find out I'm going to Ontario. So that's it. And not for nothing, John, it was great because the glass fell out three times, which was fantastic. Yes. So it was, you know, a three and a half hour game. And, you know, Todd was grousing about the glass. And Todd said he's never had a gla- the glass fall out. Three times in a season, much less one time in, in, in one game. Um, didn't like the ice condition. So I, I got my Ontario requirement, at least for this season, in. Absolutely. See, in. here's the thing, though, to me, DB. It doesn't really count because when most people are talking about a visit to Ontario, what they're really referring to is an Ontario rain game with prospects. Mm-hmm. To me, it's kind of like saying, hey, I went to a concert at Toyota Arena and I'm checking it off. In this case, it just so happens to be a hockey game, but it was an NHL game. So it really doesn't count. I think you get half mm-hmm. credit at best. No, it counts. It counts totally. <laughs> I, was, I was there. I made the drive. I made a two-hour and 20-minute drive. I'm getting full credit. Sorry. We're going to take a survey on Twitter. I don't think you're getting no. full credit. Half full credit, credit at best. It's a game. Okay. It's a, if, if, it was, if it was a neutral side game between St. Louis and Minnesota, you got it. But the Kings were playing, and there were some prospects that well, played in the game. Again, so, only half the prospects. So you only get half the credit. It wasn't only the season game for the Kings. Come on. Right. Nah. Uh, no. I'm, I'm going with half credit. That's all I'm giving no. you. Um no, yeah. Well, and hey, and here's the thing, too. I'm I'm not willing to give you more than half credit because if you would have at least told me in confidence or private that you were coming, we could have no, coordinated doing whole, a podcast. That was the part of thing. the shrub, John. Come on. <laughs> okay. How many people knew when Hulk Hogan went out and bashed at the beach? How many people really knew he was going to leg drop Randy? <laughs> that was your That's best reference, a WCW reference? Come on. We yeah, could, yeah. Because it, cool. it was when the night Hollywood Hogan came to fruition. Come on. Okay. All right. So there you go. Dennis Bernstein in Ontario. 
half credit yeah. check mark. He's right. he's he's cool. been there. He's good for six years. Uh, we will continue through the myriad of writers and photographers that are available on the Mayor's Manor team. Yes. We will continue to provide coverage from Ontario. Uh, DB, you can live vicariously through our staff, and uh, that that'll have to be good enough for the I'm next couple to. of years. Okay. There, there were there were more than a few shock phases, though. I'll say that when I, when I pulled up. Exactly. Fantastic. Uh, and yes, back to the glass. They did get new glass at the Toyota Arena. And from what I understand, it's a little bit of a different configuration. And that mm-hmm. was part of the reason uh, the way that it was secured in there. And so right. they did have some problems. They're going to hopefully have that addressed before the time uh, in another week or so, week or two when the Ontario Rain AHL season uh, gets ready to go. But it wasn't just the glass, like you said. Todd and many of the players, uh, Drew Doughty included, were not happy with the ice conditions. So hopefully they they get all that fixed up before the AHL season kicks off. Yeah, well, it was 98 degrees too, John. So hopefully it's going to be a little cooler when the game started. Who knows what's <laughs> with the weather around here. So, But uh, it was a warm day as well. 98 degrees. That sounds like a band that would have opened up when you went to go see the Backstreet Boys in concert. Yeah, wasn't, I think they uh, did, wasn't... as a matter of fact, John. <laughs> see, I I, there you go. <laughs> Everything comes back to live music. DB, let's get into the Kings roster. I think that's why people tune into this podcast. Uh, So here's the deal. There are some open questions, and let's try to tackle some of them. We've talked about a few of these things uh, prior to the season and throughout the summer. But now that we're into training camp, now the heart of things are happening. We have a little bit more context, a little bit more clarity. So let's try to go in order. We'll do forwards first. On the forward side, the top line, it's settled. I don't think there's anything to talk about. It's Fiala, it's right. it's Kopitar, and it's Kempe. Uh, and Todd had confirmed that, and that's been what he's using, or that has been what he has used, I should say, during the preseason. So that's good to go. We can That gets a full check, Mark Dennis. The second line is where things start to fall apart, because on the second line, you have Deneau playing with, uh, on his left side, Trevor Moore. Victor Arvidsson will eventually be over on the right side. However... He's not available yet. And uh, again, back to mayorsmanner.com, there's an article that I put up over the weekend that breaks down sort of the timeline for Arvidsson. And from what I understand, DB, um, they're looking to uh, around November 1st, which was that time frame that we had talked about a few episodes ago, does appear to be kind of what they're targeting. And there are two two games right around that date. I think they play back to back on the 31st and the 1st, if I'm not mistaken. It's in the article, guys. Uh, but the bigger point is that there's a possibility that he's going to play in a preseason game uh, yeah. which would be here towards the end of preseason, the last game, which is against the Ducks. So that that sort of looks like what's going on with Victor Arvidsson. He, I, I don't want to say he's ahead of schedule, but um, the reviews that I'm hearing from our sources are very positive in terms of how he's doing in his recovery, and the Kings are happy, and that's why now they're hoping he can maybe get a preseason game in, Dennis. Yeah, well, they've taken the non-contact jersey off him. So he's yes. skating in a regular jersey now. So, again – He's the natural RW2 here, and the question is going to be when he's ready to go, who's going to stand in for him. But now at least it doesn't look like a long-term situation, which is a good thing. Um, and the question is who's going to step up in his absence. Okay, so let's let's put a pin in that. We're going to get back to it because we have to get through all 14 forwards, and then we'll loop back mm-hmm. to right wing two. So on the third line, the plan long-term is to have Ayafalo on the left side playing alongside Byfield and Kaliav. Now, Byfield has missed the last couple of days with an injury, or excuse me, not an injury, sorry, uh, with an illness. And from what I understand, he's expected to probably be out the next couple of games, but hopefully he will return by the weekend. And of course, that would be the final preseason game that's taking place, I believe, on the 8th. 
Um, so assuming right. that he's back, which I am assuming at this point, and we'll talk what if he's not in a moment, but if he's back, the third line is set uh, with Ayafalo, Byfield, and Kaliev. Get to the fourth line. The fourth line is set as well, which is Brendan Lemieux, Blake Lazat, and Carl Grundstrom. So now you get to the two remaining forwards, and we'll talk about uh, what if they did a 13-8 and eight configuration instead of 14 sure. forwards in, in just a moment. But for the final two roster spots, uh, again, when Arvidsson's back and healthy, now the top 12 are set. So now you only have two remaining spots, which are your healthy scratches every night. But you have three forwards that are vying for those spots. Um, you have Gabe Velarde, you have Leas Anderson, and you have Jarrett Anderson-Dolan. Now, all three of those players, DB, um, must go through waivers before being mm-hmm. sent down. So let's kind of add a little bit more context to the conversation. People are saying, well, what about Fagamo? Because he's he's had a few looks up there on the second line. Uh, what about Kapari? Well, here's the thing, DB. Both of those players are waiver exempt. So you right. can send them down. And so I would just ask you, before we talk about those three, uh, Leas, Gabe, and, and, and Jad, I ask this. Even with Ardvidsen out, why would you play Fagamo up on that line and put one of those three guys on waivers versus, oh, uh, Ardvidsson is out? Great. We don't have to make that decision until later. Just leave all three of those uh, players on the roster, and we will eventually put one of those three guys on waivers. That would be the conventional thinking, but I do have an mm-hmm. update for you, though, TB. Yes. This would be the reasoning behind doing something like that. It might be easier to sneak one of those players, and I believe that player will be Leah Sanderson, which I can talk about in a moment. I don't think it's Gabe Velarde. I think Gabe's made the roster. I think the decision is mm-hmm. going to come down to Jad or to Leas, and I think it'll ultimately come down to Leas. I can give you my reasons in a moment, but here's why, DB. If you, if you try to sneak one of those players through on waivers right now, they're more likely to clear because, for the most part, teams have their rosters set sure. coming out of training camp, right? And if they really needed a forward and it was going to be a Leah Anderson or a Jad, why not just let one of their prospects take that spot, right? Rather than claim right. one of those guys um, as a bottom six forward, you just go, Oh, well, look, we're going to, we need a forward down there. We'll take one from our prospect pool is what you would think 31 other GMs would be thinking. But, but if you wait two weeks or you get closer to November 1st, and now you have to put one of those players on waivers DB uh, because now Ardvidsson is back. Well, another team might have an injury or something where mm-hmm. now they're like, hey, let me pluck that player off waivers. And uh, because when you get a player off waivers, you need to play him or keep him on your NHL roster for 30 days or 30 risk days. losing him yeah. back again. But if you have an injured player in the first couple of weeks, you go, hey, let me snatch this guy off waivers. Right. And then I can hold on to him for 30 days uh, and he'll probably fill a hole. And then I'll cross that bridge when I get there about what am I going to do with them once my injured player comes back. That type of thought doesn't exist in the. Um, in the beginning part of the season as these rosters are full. So there is a possibility that Leas Anderson could be put on waivers here sometime over the next week. Hopefully he clears, he goes down to Ontario and then Fagamo or Kapari could end up being added to the roster because at that point you'd figure Ardvidsson's out. So you have three spots that are available. Velarde took one, Jad took the other. And so you could put Kapari or you could put Fagamo on the roster at that point. The only reason I see where Fagmo fits in is I think his style, if he's going to play on the second line, I think his style is most closest to Arvidsson as opposed to Velarde and Jod and, and Leas Anderson. So for that reason, I, I could see him as an option. But from an asset management standpoint, John, what does it come down to? Risk. 
like who do you want to risk and how much risk is it that they would be claimed? And I agree with you. I think sooner than later, because right, exactly. It's you're at all these teams are 23, but look, here's a guy who might think it might be our 13th or 14th forward. So you could lose them there. So I think it's about, again, it's a lot about the asset management. It always seems to come down to that. It is all about that. We should make t-shirts that say that it's all about asset yeah. management. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to play GM Rob Blake, uh, but I, but I will for just a moment. Yeah, if please. it was me yeah. and I probably differ in the organization's opinion than this, I, I, let me, before I give you my opinion, I would say, I, the reason I believe it's Leas Anderson is uh, kind of twofold. One, because he's not a Kings draft pick. And people are like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Who cares? Here's why. Anytime you're a first round draft pick, you carry that cachet with you for the rest of your life. Right. right. It's, it's, it's just a reality. Um, does it mean that you're guaranteed a spot? No, but you are going to be given extra opportunities as a former first round draft pick. That's been proven time and time again. I think yep. the same thing holds true when you look at, were you drafted by this team or were you not drafted by this team? And I just think back to no further than the Derek Forbert versus Braden McNabb decision when it comes to, uh, or when it came to, excuse mm-hmm. me, the expansion draft. It's just one particular point. And I'm sure there are right. many other examples that people can think of. But Braden McNabb was the guy to hold on to over Derek Forbert, but he was a former first round pick. And in this case, he was a guy that was a draft pick yeah. rather than Braden McNabb, who had been traded for. Same thing with Leah Anderson. He was traded for. He wasn't an L.A. Kings pick. And Jad is such a character culture guy um, that I can see that that's the direction that it goes, that they put Anderson on waivers over Jad. But here's mm-hmm. my point, though, DB. If it was me. And I hate saying this because people are going to take it the wrong way. They're going to think I'm anti-28, and I'm not. I love the player. I've said for a long time he could even wear a letter in L.A. one day. But I think that Leas Anderson has a higher upside. And if it was me, I would look at the skill that's within this organization or the lack of skill from high-end scoring potential. And Mm -hmm. I would say, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice because I can replace a Jarrett Anderson Dolan with an Akeel Thomas or with one of these other character-type guys, right? Uh, and Carl Grundstrom has leapfrogged him. Uh, Blake Lazat has been able to leapfrog him in terms of mm-hmm. those bottom six forward kind of guys. And I, maybe even Alex Iafalo, you could say, to the same extent, maybe. But I look at a guy like Leah Sanderson, and I know that to people that just follow the NHL, they're like, John, what are you talking about? This guy has never done it at the NHL level. But DB, he's lit up the American League, and I know the American League is different, but mm-hmm. I just feel skill-wise, Leah Sanderson he's going to break out at some point and he has a little physicality to him. He has a little, Oh yeah. And, he, and so he does. He has some good. And that's what God's like. I've talked to God, the, the vets around him. They like his style. He sticks his nose in absolutely does do that. And maybe that's a deciding factor with respect to who you keep as well. I mean, you talk about Fagamo up on that line and I know that Leas would prefer to play left side uh, over right side, but I, I look at a guy like Leas Anderson and I go, I kind of see more of an Arvidsson type thing in him and that, He's not afraid to like get in there and, you know, and that's what, that's what RV does. He just gets into anything. He doesn't care. He's fearless uh, and he can score. And, and Leah Sanderson sure can. I just, it's unfortunate Dennis, because he hasn't put his full package together at the NHL right. level, but he wasn't a Kings draft pick. And so he'll probably be the guy on the outside uh, when all is said and done. That's, that's the, that's the comment there. Now, the other thing that we can talk about, and we'll have to circle back to this as well is what about if you go 13 versus eight? Because mm-hmm. you could put Leah Sanderson uh, on waivers next week and you maybe only carry 13 forwards because you could put right. Velarde up on the second line and you could have uh, Jad as your, your 13th forward and then you carry eight defensemen. So let's get into the defensemen, Dennis. 
Can you and I agree that Mikey Anderson and Drew Doughty are the first pairing? Yes, without question. Yeah, without question, right? So good, check. So now we get into the bottom four. A little bit of this is going to come down to the health of Sean Walker and the health right. of Sean Dersey. Now, Walker has made his preseason debut. However, that does not preclude him from going on a conditioning assignment in the American League, from what I understand. So he could start the season with a conditioning assignment because he's coming off of LTIR, which is what I think allows him to go on that conditioning assignment, if right. I'm not, if I'm not uh, wrong about that. Mm-hmm. So you could potentially say, oh, Walker's not ready yet. Let's give him a couple weeks. Let's give him heavy minutes in the American League, and then we'll bring him up. That could, that could buy you some time to do some other things. So Matt Roy is on the roster. That gives you three defensemen. Sean Dersey is on the roster if he's healthy. And word I get is that he's going to make his debut uh, in one of the next two games. Um, so he should be back. And if he's good to go, he's going to give you a, a fourth defenseman. Edler gives you a fifth defenseman. Um, and then you have to start to kind of figure out what you want to do from there, right? Mm-hmm. Jacob Mavari is he would require waivers to go down. Right. So you saw him last year in 19 games in LA. And I I would have to say he was impressive, impressive enough to think that he could fill in if needed. And Edler, you don't want to give 82 games to, right? You probably want to limit him to about 55 to 65 games. So you're going to need another left shot defenseman. We talked about it on the program recently. The guy who played more games on the defensive side of things for the LA Kings last year than anybody else was Toby Bjornfoot. He could make the roster, but DB, he could start the year in the American League also because he doesn't require waivers. So then you get to Brant Clark, and there's the other thing. So even if you go with seven, even if you go with Anderson Doughty, Walker Mm -hmm. Roy, uh, Dersey, Edler, Edler, and Bjornfoot, and you have seven. Right. Uh, you could go, well, what do you do with Brant Clark? Well, you can still keep, keep Brant Clark and you could go eight and 13 mm-hmm. like we talked about. So for me, all of the decisions around the defense really start with Brant Clark. We haven't even talked about Jordan Spence, but for me, they all start with Brant Clark because I think you have to have Clark on the opening night roster and you have to give him NHL games. They came into the preseason wanting to get a look at him in every preseason game. Dennis, I think that up until now, he's passed every test. I think you have to put him on the NHL roster on the opening night, and then you have to make a decision before uh, game nine or you know game 10. Yeah, here's the challenge, and it goes back to the rule that should probably be, <laughs> be erased, is the age limit rule. And he, what's Brent Clark going to do in juniors? He's going to dominate. He's going to have highlight real goals. He's going to play 25 minutes a night. And what's that going to do for his development? Nothing. So keeping it's just, it's tough because you're, it's not a meritocracy because I, I think that Jordan Spence should be on the team. Like there's no reason Jordan Spence should be on the, except that you, again, this goes back to a lot of things. He's a first round airport, Brand Clark. And I asked Trent Yoni, I said, can he play in the league now? And they've danced around this, at least from publicly from the coaching staff standpoint, and said he will play in the NHL, whether it's this year or not, I don't know. And like, yeah, okay, I know that, but I'm like, can he play right now? I don't, you know, John, I think that defense wasn't the issue last year because they were 10th in goals against. So if Sean Walker's healthy, and John Seth, I feel good. There was some rust. I'm going to play. If he's your left side, second pair defenseman, that it, it makes it difficult. If you want to talk about asset management, 
to keep Brant Clark, then you're going to like wave certain plays. Maybe you don't want to wave or not reward a kid like Spence who did great while I was here. Like I know it, potentially it could be Toby Bjornfoot and Jordan Spence on the top pair in Ontario to start the season. And I wouldn't have any problem with that. But again, uh, you're rewarding Brant Clark when we're not really sure at the expense of a guy like Spence who, and I watched the preseason game against Vegas very closely. He played damn good defense against big guys up front like Jack Eichel. So it's, it's a great dilemma to have, John. And if they went that route and kept Brandon Clark, yeah, the guy's exciting. There's not, not a more exciting defenseman or player on this team, maybe maybe Fiala. But this kid, the personality, everything, I'd love to see him up in Los Angeles. I, I just The math is really working against him. And you have to do a lot of math to keep him on that opening night roster. But if he does land there, I've got no problem with that. Let me just challenge one thing that you said, yeah, and that is sure. rewarding Brant Clark. I don't, see, I don't look at it that way. I don't look at it that you're rewarding him as much as you're evaluating him. And to me, those are two entirely different things. You're evaluating him. Now, after, you know, game nine, now you might be rewarding yeah, yeah. him, you know, but at least initially. And I know it, 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 it's a slight differentiation, but to me, it's an important differentiation uh, in, because I believe Jordan Spence will be in the NHL, and I believe Jordan Spence will be in the NHL this year. I think the Kings just have to sort some things out and figure out who they want to keep, but when you and, and what they're going to do on the left side as well. What assets are they going to have to trade in order to get somebody on the left side? Sean Walker right. on the left side is not a long-term solution, right? Um, in terms of another thing that you said, though, about a player going on waivers, Jacob Mavari really is the only player that's going to have a, yeah. a waiver problem. Um, and he's probably going on waivers, whether they keep Brant Clark up or not, because I mean, you could True. keep Mavari up and send Bjornfoot down until you sort of sort everything out. Um, but I think it's more likely that Bjornfoot would be up and, and Mavari would be sent down. And I just don't see another NHL team at this point uh, uh, taking you know, taking Jacob Avari, I, I would be surprised if they did. And that's not a knock on the player because, again, I think he's more than serviceable. He showed that in 19 games last year. I think he actually played better than most people would have expected. But I think right now the priority should be figuring out the math, figuring out how to get Brent mm -hmm. Clark into that lineup. And it's kind of screwy because they are top-heavy on the right side, Dennis. Um, and even if you move Walker over, they're still top-heavy because if Walker's on the left, you have Dowdy, Roy, Dersey, and then Clark. Even if Spence yeah. is in the American League, you still have four right-handed defensemen. So, you know, Brant Clark is going to play. Maybe Sean Dursey being injured is the best thing possible in this particular situation because you can go to Durs and you can say, hey, look, we want you to play every other game for the first month, you know, kind of ease yourself back in coming off the shoulder injury. And maybe he can maybe he can eat it a little bit more than, than he would if he was 100% yeah. healthy. I don't know. The, the long-term solution, John, is trading a player. Well, yes, <laughs> or something that that's that's the long term solution. There's too many. If everybody's healthy, it's the opposite of last year where they couldn't find guys They had to reach and dig down deep to get guys to play. And that's not the case this year. If everybody's healthy, that's a that's a big time numbers problem on the right side. And the, the way to resolve it would be and you don't make trades in training camp. I, I people asking me about not just L.A. with chicken. I'm like, I don't remember the next the last big trade that happened seven days or nine days before training camp. I think what you see is what you get. And, and with respect to that player, Arizona wants to hold on to him because who knows what's going to happen. And you try to raise the value, trade him at the deadline or, or next summer because he's got three years left on his deal. But Dennis, look at look at what you just said there, though, about making a trade. The real answer is not trading one person. The real answer is trading 
two yeah. people because yeah. trading Sean Walker, he has two years left to get that contract off the books and to free up money. That doesn't really solve your problem because you still have four guys on the right side. And I didn't even mention Jordan Spence and I didn't even mention Helga yeah. Granz. So right. you already with Brent Clark have four guys in Dowdy, Roy, Jersey and Clark. That's four add Spence. That's five. So yeah. trading Sean Walker doesn't help anything. You really need to trade two guys <laughs> out of that group in order to clear some room. And then, you know, you, 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 you figure out what to do with Grons in another, you know, year plus, because you figure that you, he can play in the American league um, all year this, this season. Well, and the extra defenseman, because of what you mentioned, Edmund was not playing 82 games. So you need probably the extra defenseman on the left side, right? That, that would be your seventh defenseman would make more sense. And, the plethora of right-handed defensemen you have. Yeah. So a lot of interesting stuff happening uh, on the roster, both at forward and on the defensive side of things. The goaltending is pretty much set, Dennis. Uh, you're yep. going to have Jonathan Quick and Cal Peterson. Very interesting. Obviously, I think 32 gets the opening night start, but very interesting to see from that point forward how Cal gets into the mix. Can Cal get hot? Can things get going? Uh, we're going to save our predictions. We'll do a prediction episode like we always do, Dennis. But I, I am curious about one thing, and I didn't ask you this ahead of time, so I'm asking you off the cuff here. Uh, has your opinion changed at all of where you think the LA Kings will finish? You don't have to tell us where. We'll save that for another week or two. Another week, I guess, because the opening night is coming up. But I'm just curious, have you seen anything during training camp, during preseason yet, that has caused the needle to move one way or the other for you? No. If I had to handicap the division, I would handicap it the way it finished in the top three. Calgary, Edmonton, and L.A. So, okay. I, so, I, don't, so you can't... I, I think the change is Vegas. I don't like what Vegas, I think, is in a lot of trouble. And Vancouver will be a little bit better. So that's that's part of it. So I, I think that they're a playoff team. Um, I think they're in the 2-3 in the matchup in the, in the first round. I'm not sure they get there with the spec. And look... If Fial's going to be a point-again player and they can get some of the kids to emerge and be a force offensively, could they win the division? Yeah, because they were, what, 12 points out? That's six wins. They could do it. My, my challenge, Sean, is like to, to be a 99-point team with a plus-three goal differential, You have to. That's a, that's a tough trick to repeat. So the offense really has to come through. So right now, Fial's a great add. I'm, I'm going to have to see others not regress and so one or two other players to you know progress offensively. I think that uh, one of the keys when you talk about offense is going to have to be who's going to fill in for Victor Arvidsson. We talked about that yep. because you need more offense than just Kevin Fiala. And here's my worry. If, uh, if there's anything keeping me up at night, my worry right now is that everyone's going to stand around and watch Kevin Fiala. Everyone's going to wait for Kevin Fiala to do something and then over the first five games. And you can't have that happen, Dennis. This team needs yeah. – more than just the top line. You don't need to watch what Kempe's doing. You don't need to watch what Fiala is doing. You need to get offense like you did last year from the second line. And you need that yeah. third line that I have followed by field Kaliev line. You need that line going, even if you're not getting any offense uh, uh, from the fourth line, you need the second and third line to be buzzing. And to your point, DB, you need the defense to give you more. Drew is back. Totally. And I know that his focus is a little bit more on the defensive side of things. These days, we still think of him as that offensive defenseman, that dynamo that came in the first couple of yep. years, but he's really become more of a defensively strong player and Jersey and Spence and maybe Clark are taking on a little bit more of that offense. You need mm -hmm. offense from the blue line, Dennis. Yeah, they were one of the worst. And granted, Drew wasn't around, but they, they didn't really get much at all from their from their defense. And, and, and the way John, the game's changed. Right? Tail McCarr and Bo Byron. 
Right. There are guys that, and granted, they're on the same team, but you need production like Roman. Now, I'm not saying they're going to produce like Yossi or Hedman, but you need more from the from the back line, and that's going to be a challenge. And that's why Brand Clark's in the conversation because you assume if he's going to play back there, he's going to get some offense going and produce some points. All right, Brent, Brent Clark, he makes the opening night roster. I'm calling it right now. Uh, go to mayorsmanner.com, read the article. Check out uh, Dennis on SiriusXM NHL Network Radio this week, uh, hosting the power play. You know what we need more of, though, DB? We need more of Kings of the Podcast. So everybody stick around, and uh, we will have at least one more podcast before opening night next week. It's all getting ramped up, Dennis. Opening night is around the corner. Can't wait, Jay. Can't wait. Let's get to October 12th already. All right, Vegas. I think it's the 11th, Dennis. I think it's the 11th. Okay. Well, (laughs) if I can get to the 12th, I'm in good shape, too. (laughs) Whenever it is, it's coming up. The Kings, the Vegas Golden Knights. But before then, the Kings have to finish out their uh, best of three preseason series against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, So there's two more of those, plus the game in Salt Lake City. Everybody, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Kings of the Podcast. Just a pair to where we are, Los Angeles.